Unstoppable Domains has two products that's helping make the crypto world feel like the old world that we're familiar with, but with these new crypto economic protocols under the hood. And that is human readable crypto addresses as well as uncensorable domains. So I've got my Unstoppable Domains account open here and I've got my domains registered. And so I've got davidhoffman.crypto, right? And I have my one of my Ethereum addresses pointed to it. And I'm also going to be able to add my Bitcoin address here as well because this is a blockchain agnostic product. Any wallet that has unstoppable domains integrated will allow you to type in davidhoffman.crypto. And if you're sending Bitcoin or if you're sending ETH or Litecoin or hell, even Ripple, it will send it to the address that I've associated on my account. So I'm going to pull up my Ether wallet here and I've loaded up an address with a small amount of ETH. And I'm going to send a little bit of ETH to myself at davidhoffman.crypto. It's going to populate with the Ethereum address that it has, but it's also linked to my Twitter account because in Unstoppable Domains, I've linked my Twitter account to all of the addresses that I've plugged in. And so Chainlink is actually associating my Twitter account with my Ethereum address. And you know these are the Web2 platforms that we have today, but think about what happens when decentralized identity becomes more of a thing. I'm sure Unstoppable Domains is going to use decentralized identity solutions like BrightID or Circles to associate addresses with people in a extremely self-sovereign way. Unstoppable Domains also allows you to spin up uncensorable websites, which is, I think, going to become increasingly important in the world ahead of us. Using Unstoppable Domains, you can purchase a website and use decentralized storage providers to host it as well, meaning that no nation state can take down your website. There is no canceling in Unstoppable Domains world. They even have templates ready to go to help you build out your first unstoppable domain. So go to unstoppabledomains.com, register your crypto addresses with a human readable name, and maybe launch your uncensorable website today. Zapper is this new tool that I use to check out all of my assets in DeFi. As you guys have known, DeFi has absolutely exploded recently. And so managing your assets is getting harder and harder because there's so many different places and so many different assets that it could be. So I'm going to put my Ethereum address in here and Zapper is going to tell me where all of my assets are across Ethereum, right? So uh, here are all of the assets in this wallet. Uh, there's, there's a decent amount of them. Uh, and it's also going to tell me where I've deposited assets into various DeFi protocols, right? So there's some uh, yield farming going on. There's some liquidity pooling going on. We can also look more granularly at the specific protocols that it's involved with in this explore feature. So it's got some assets deposited into Uniswap. It's got some assets deposited into Balancer. And also with Zapper, you can just exchange straight from the Zapper interface, right? So this is just another layer on top of Uniswap or other exchanges on Ethereum that allow you to swap assets, right? So check them out at zapper.fi. It'll give you a nice clean portal to invest your assets in DeFi. And you can also connect to multiple wallets if you use multiple wallets all at once. And it'll give you an aggregate of every single wallet that you own. Check them out at zapper.fi. Also, this is definitely not my wallet. Bankless Nation, welcome to another episode of Weekly Rollups. This is the fourth episode, the fourth week of October. And this is a kind of a new episode format for David and I. What we do is we bring this to you on Friday morning so you can have a weekly rollup of everything that's going on in crypto with your morning coffee. You can either view it on YouTube, watch us, watch us there, or you can also get this on the podcast. What we do is every single Friday, we cover five topics 
in five minutes and we get everything that is relevant, everything that is happening in crypto in your ears. We cover the market, we cover releases, we cover news, hot takes, and finally we end with things that we are personally excited about that have happened this week. David, how's your week going, man? Really, really good. And I hope people listening on this Friday morning are as engaged and energetic as we are about to be in this weekly roll-ups. It's a fast-paced way to inject a bunch of information right into your brain. So let's go ahead and get started. All right, man. Well, let's start with what are the markets saying? And do you want to start with Bitcoin as we usually do? Yeah. Bitcoin is saying that he's happy. Yeah. So <laughs> Bitcoin's pretty happy with what's going on right now. It seems to be kind of dominating the news cycle, dominating the, the market action. Uh, and if you go to coinmarketcap.com, you kind of see that Bitcoin is going up and to the right and everything is flat at best and down and then everything else is kind of down. So it's a Bitcoin dominated news cycle this week. And why is that, David? Has any catalyst happening or do you think it's, this has just been a slow build and look, DeFi and other um, like Ethereum-based coins have had sort of their, their time in, to shine and now it's Bitcoin's turn? Yeah, Sazzle, uh, Anthony Sazano had a really good piece in his Daily Gway where he talks about like the pendulum, pendulum shift, right? Like it was DeFi summer and now it's Bitcoin fall. And that kind of seems to be the narrative that seems to be playing out uh, people, like we've been saying on the Bankless program, people have really come to understand what Bitcoin is, not just inside crypto, but outside of crypto. And, you know, understanding Bitcoin is bullish for Bitcoin. And people seem to be figuring out what Bitcoin is supposed to do inside of their portfolio. And that trend just continues to iterate. And that's what we see going on in the markets today. Okay. Like, so Bitcoin is, as we're, as we're recording this at uh, above 1300, do you think it stays there and do you think it goes higher in the, in the weeks to come? Yeah, I think it's very likely that we are kind of seeing the last of the low tens for, for, for Bitcoin. Uh, we could, maybe we could hang here and go flat for another quarter, uh, but people are looking to buy the dip. There's a lot of hype. Uh, dips are getting bought. So uh, you know, it, it's worth noting that Bitcoin has only spent five weeks of its life above its current price point. So, you know, if you take a moving average uh, perspective, Bitcoin is more or less at its all time high. All right. Five digit Bitcoin from here on out. David's predicting that. Oh, let's talk about ETH price. Okay. So ETH has taken a bit of a hit mm -hmm. within the last week or so, but it's hanging in there. 390. What's your take on ETH price? Yeah, ETH price seems to be splitting the difference between Bitcoin and DeFi. And we're going to get into DeFi in, in a little bit. DeFi is not doing so well. DeFi is not doing so well. But ETH price is, is definitely doing well. A lot, ETH price is up against a lot of Ethereum-based tokens, right? And I, I think what we're seeing is a, a bunch of different variables. Uh, I think investors understand that Ether is extremely liquid and shares some of the same uh, characteristics that Bitcoin does, right? Like a non-sovereign store of value permissionlessly available throughout the world that's extremely liquid, right? Unlike all the DeFi tokens on Ethereum, which are relatively illiquid, Ethereum really does split that difference really well between Bitcoin and, and DeFi. Uh, and so I feel like we are seeing some, some investor dissonance as to like, you know, is Ether a DeFi token or is Ether like Bitcoin? And the market says it's kind of right in the middle. Yeah, and I, that, that feels about right to me. It is right in the middle, but it is the only other asset besides Bitcoin that can get the type of institutional adoption this cycle that I think mm -hmm. Bitcoin will get. It is the only CFTC designated commodity along with Bitcoin, after all. Lots of, uh, lots of promise for Ethereum, and I think we're seeing that in ETH price. Um, do, do you want to talk about, um, I, I, I guess, 
YFI real quick. Like that yeah. was sort of a, a hallmark of, of DeFi, um, the DeFi summer. And now it has landed back to earth. This goes back to kind of the pendulum sh shift. You, could, you almost have to expect this after such a stellar rise where YFI came out of nowhere. And I feel like this is, this is one of the assets that we'll remember as kind of 2020 summer of DeFi 2020. Um, but what's happening to it now? Yeah, so you know, YFI, like we like we talked about on the Bankless program, technically it started at zero. It really got on people's radar, maybe at one to three thousand, and then it you know kind of zoomed all the way up to forty thousand, and now it's down to eleven thousand, right? And so you know, it being at eleven thousand, it it's technically I mean, still people have made a, a lot of money, but only if you got in really early, right? Eighty six percent of addresses that have purchased YFI purchase it at a higher price than it is today. Uh, and so I kind of think that like you know, DeFi is kind of where Ethereum was at the end of 2018, kind of going into this bear market. That's going to be a little bit longer than people thought that it was going to. Uh, and we're, we're seeing this with, with other DeFi tokens like Uni as, as well. This is really where, like we, we talked about this theme on the Bankless podcast with our DeFi founder series and our DeFi protocols, you know, but, you know things happen in bear markets, right? And I think this is where, uh, you know, YFI and Uni and, and the community around these tokens really harden up. Like the true believers are gonna stick around and the people that were here for the gains are gonna defect and sell. All right, last thing, we should talk for a minute about this chart. This is a phenomenally crazy chart. It looks like uh, Mount Everest over here. <laughs> this is the amount of Bitcoin on Ethereum right now as measured in Bitcoin. And it is from about April 2020 to up till now, it's like straight up. Yeah. There's now $2 billion worth mm -hmm. of Bitcoin on Ethereum right now. Are we, are we seeing sort of the, the, the Ether, Ethereum is a black hole meme? Is, is that what's happening? It's just sucking in assets like Bitcoin? Absolutely. Uh, Ethereum is a nexus of economic activity. That's what Anthony Cezano calls it. And I really like that metaphor things just it's a settlement layer for everything including bitcoin right uh and I, i'm a really big bull on bitcoin on ethereum i think the market cap of bitcoin will ultimately be higher because of what it can do on ethereum what ethereum unlocks for it so it's just rational to put all of your bitcoin on ethereum i think that over time the majority of bitcoin will come to be on ethereum we're at 150,000 bitcoins on ethereum and you know to put that into context like um, uh, MicroStrategy, the, the company that all the Bitcoiners are really stoked about putting BTC on their balance sheet, they bought 50,000 Bitcoins, right? Ethereum has 150,000 and growing every single day. Ethereum's the largest buyer of Bitcoin out, uh, ever by like a long shot. Yeah, that's a really interesting way to put it. Ethereum is the largest buyer of Bitcoin by a long shot ever. Very fascinating. All right, we're done with markets, David. We've got to get to what got released last week. Do you want to start with Aave? Yeah, this has been a long time coming. And this is something that we talked about with Stani on the Aave podcast. Uh, Aave is finally turning over the keys to the Aave kingdom to token holders. So the Aave token holders now have governance over the protocol. So really big step into maturity and development for Aave. So tip of the hat to, to Stani and the Aave team for, for getting to this point. Yeah, I mean, it starts to give actual governance rights over to token holders. That's long been a criticism of some of these DeFi protocols that the tokens actually don't come with governance rights, the ability to control the underlying smart contracts. Well, here they do. Aave takes a major step towards that. That's 
quite fascinating. Also, Coinbase is making some moves. Coinbase is sort of a, a giant. We call them probably a crypto bank, David, but they're releasing a debit card to U.S. customers. I mean, you know, Capital Ones of the world, the, the Citigroups, the, the Chases of the world. These are banks that released debit cards and have active mm -hmm. like credit card debit card functions and now here's a crypto bank coming from the crypto side and getting into their world a little bit what's your take on this yeah this is a great example of how the world of crypto exchanges and banks are coming together to be the same thing like banks are like the natural precursor to a crypto exchange and crypto exchanges are a natural precursor to a crypto bank. And now these things are melding together. Coinbase issuing a Visa debit card that has your crypto assets backing it in Coinbase is a really interesting product. I'm interested to see the product market fit that comes out of this or not. We do know that people tend to be hesitant about spending their crypto. Uh, but, you know, for, for some people that like to denominate their wealth in crypto and only spend what they need, this is a really good tool. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting product. And uh, get ready, I would say, make ready for mm -hmm. the Coinbase IPO that is inevitably yeah. coming. I feel like yeah. that is a virtual certainty and products like this kind of are along the roadmap towards that, I bet. Speaking of banks in general, JP Morgan, they created an entire unit for blockchain projects. They have a well-known... Uh, internal initiative that is building basically an Ethereum private chain and a internal stable coin called JP Morgan coin, actually, that they're using for transaction settlement. That's the purported use case. We've got about 100 folks in this blockchain Ethereum centric division. What's your take on that? Yeah, if I remember, JP Morgan and its private uh, Ethereum, it's an Ethereum fork that it kind of manages itself called yes. Quorum was yes. like the, in, the instigation of this. Like, so this has actually been a project for a while. I remember them being at East Denver in 2018. So this is not something that just randomly popped up. This has been in the works for a while. So JP Morgan has had stake in crypto and specifically in Ethereum for a long time. I'm pretty sure they're working closely with consensus on this as well. Uh, consensus, I think, purchased Quorum from JP Morgan, which was always an interesting choice. Um, but JP Morgan is not soft on Ethereum. JP Morgan's very hard on Ethereum. Yeah, yeah, definitely very hard on Ethereum. All right. So um, also, we've got the largest bank in Singapore that just added a crypto exchange to. I think that goes along with a the theme. So just last week, largest crypto bank called DBS adding a crypto exchange, JP Morgan, you know, populating advertising their JP Morgan coin on Ethereum. This is coming from the other direction, right? We've got Coinbase becoming more like a traditional bank. Now we have traditional banks becoming, trying to become a bit more like a Coinbase. And there's got to be some convergence in the middle. Uh, fascinating stuff. David, we probably have time to talk about one more release. Do you want to talk about Audius? Yeah, Audius is a project that is trying to be a decentralized storage force, like a SoundCloud alternative. You know, SoundCloud was the place to be if you are an artist who wants to remix other people's music, but sometimes that comes with copyright infringement. So Audius is kind of this new SoundCloud where you can take, a, you know, a famous artist's music, remix it and upload it to Audius. And it's not nation state level resistant like Ethereum, but it is it does have corporate level resistance. And so I think there's like 90 or 100 nodes that are supporting the Audius system. Uh, and that's what Audius is all about. And so I'm, I'm interested to see the experimentation with different levels of decentralization needed to produce a product.
Yeah, for sure. We, we also, I lied, we have one last release that we've got to talk about. This is FTX, the, um, the crypto derivatives mm-hmm. exchange platform. Uh, it has just announced that it's launched a new way to trade stocks. So you can actually get Apple price exposure or Google price exposure in FTX. Um, you know, Bitcoin, BitMEX famously did derivatives, mainly on crypto projects. Now this is moving derivatives over to derivative synthetic mm-hmm. stocks. What's, what's your take there? Yeah, this is really interesting, especially when it comes hot on the heels of the BitMEX, uh, uh, you know, attack from from regulators, right? Like this is not a regulated product. And uh, Sam Bankman-Fried, the guy behind FTX, is a U.S. citizen, I'm pretty sure. Uh, and so this is a really bold move because this is definitely against CFTC uh, regulations. Uh, and also, I'm pretty sure the same uh, Bank Secrecy Act that applied to BitMEX also applies to FTX. So, you know, Sam Bankman, Bankman-Fried and FTX are really throwing caution to the wind and taking a really bold move with with offering this. Yeah. Is this kind of an Icarus flying too close to the sun, you think? I are they think just so. being a little too bold or do they have really good lawyers and really good advice? I mean, they are blocking traders from the U.S. and other restricted jurisdictions. But that yeah, certainly did VPN, not, though. right? That did not help Bitmex yeah. in the charges that uh, the DOJ brought. So we'll have to see what happens there. All right, David, we've got to get to our next section. Five minutes. What's in the news lately? Do you want to start with another crypto bank? I feel like this is the week of like yeah. crypto banks, right? So um, a few weeks ago, we saw that Kraken actually applied and became the second regulated bank. This is a, a traditional bank. There's a you know, designation for that under the state of Wyoming. It was a bank charter, basically. And now uh, a startup bank called Avante has become the second to receive this bank charter designation in the state of Wyoming. Wyoming really turning into this um, almost U.S.-based crypto-friendly jurisdiction, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Citadel of Wyoming. Citadel, right? Uh, Caitlin Long, others, I think, have gotten very active in legislation in Wyoming and turn legislators into sort of a, a crypto friendly state. Um, so what's your take on this? Is this just more of the theme we've been talking about? And here's crypto now becoming more bank-like and now instead of a meme, it's like literally crypto bank charter, not just crypto banks, but crypto bank charter. Yeah, absolutely. There's a number of different takes to, to be had here. One, it's really cool to see another bank follow in the footsteps after Kraken, right? And so like, you know, I didn't expect this to happen so soon. Turns out there's a ton of demand for a service like this. So tip of the hat to Kraken for really pushing the fold and allowing people to follow in the footsteps. Uh, another take is that this is just about the professionalization and institutionalization of crypto. Uh, this is how we make crypto more appealing to people that have have bigger bankrolls, right? Uh, and uh, I, I think, yeah, the, I think those are the big two takes. Yeah, it's funny. Any any one of these stories, I think if this was bull market territory fully in 2017, would have like absolutely blown up in, mm-hmm. in like price, that sort of thing. We're not seeing that yet. We're still seeing kind of these news right. stories come in, but stay under the radar. I wonder how long that lasts. These Let's are talk super about, real fundamental folks. They are. Here's another, uh, I think, real fundamental, but also interesting. We've been talking a little bit about MicroStrategy putting Bitcoin on their balance sheet. But um, it, it seems to be a way to like actually pump performance of their stock, right? Because MicroStrategy, since purchasing, it's looking like a, a really smart hedge fund because since purchasing Bitcoin, they're already up 100 million 
from that investment. What's your take? Yeah, importantly, MicroStrategy earned $78 million from its core businesses over the last 3.5 years. And it's also earned $100 million based on its Bitcoin trade that's made in the last like three months. Right? Oh and, so, and, and also the stock, the stock price has also gone up. And so what I have my eye on is perhaps like this inevitable FOMO where, you know, company X puts X number of Bitcoins on its balance sheet and then Bitcoin goes up and then company X's stock price goes up. If that continues to happen, that's going to trigger just a viral feedback loop where other companies would be like, well, everyone else is putting Bitcoin on their balance sheet and then their stock price goes up. So like now we have to do it too. Uh, there, there's a potential for a uh, viral FOMO feedback loop there. And it is funny because you really get the sense that like high net worth individuals, companies, publicly traded companies themselves, they don't know where to put their money. Right. Like, they, like they're like, where do we put our money? We have all of this of money. The Fed keeps printing. We have a lot of it. And Mm -hmm. so they're putting it in places like crypto. Fascinating. I didn't get caught up on this Iran news, David. So Mm -hmm. so what's that? I think um, there's been some Iran news that, that came out about Bitcoin for import payments. Yeah, yeah. So Iran is allowing for imports to be paid with cryptocurrency, right? And so this is one part a strategy to get around sanctions. Uh, United States and, and all of our allies have put really heavy sanctions on Iran and how they can pay for things because the United States controls the dollar system, the, the, you know, the international financial system. Uh, but with Bitcoin, uh, Iran has a way to pay for things, right? And so turns out like it, it, what the, what's really interesting about this is it's alluding to that this is kind of just like the, the tip of the iceberg with Iran's relationship to Bitcoin. It's highly likely that Iran has at least been trying to accumulate Bitcoin for its own purposes to pay for things because that's the only way that it can pay for things. And now it's green lighting uh, paying for imports with Bitcoin, right? And so this is just how, for better or for worse, Bitcoin is a tool of financial freedom for not just individuals, but also for countries. Yeah, I wonder if there's going to be some blowback though from yeah. the um, you know the major countries of the world that are sort of the you know policing Iran's right. activity, exactly. right? It's like not the best Bitcoin representative, is, right? Bitcoin is for criminals and for renegade government. Mm-hmm. Like you can almost hear legislators in Congress right. making that argument. That's exactly um, right. All right, David. There, uh, are brought to you by Wire. Wiron is DeFi's first self-building community-run project, which I just get really, really excited about. Wiron is a system that seeks out yield in DeFi, and it does that in a number of different ways. Uh, A very aggressive way is with the vaults, where you can deposit your preferred asset of choice, and different DeFi experts will come in and generate a strategy for what to do with your deposited token, right? And so it'll go find ways to get yield in that deposited token in DeFi. For those who want to just earn yield on their stable coins, the earn system is for you, where you can deposit your preferred stable coin and Wiron will go and figure out which money market on DeFi, and DeFi is producing the best interest rate, whether it's DYDX, it's Compound or Aave, it, it looks around DeFi to see where the yield is coming from and it directs stable coins automatically so you don't have to. Check them out at yearn.finance to get started and also check out the stats page to see what other people are doing as well. We're also brought to you by Monolith. Monolith is your cool new DeFi account, your DeFi savings account, your DeFi checking account. Except the cool thing about the Monolith DeFi account is that it gets software updates, right? You actually get to increase the usefulness of this over time. So here are some of the features. Monolith 
wallet is a smart contract wallet with a lot of the features that you would expect if you've come to know DeFi and what it is. You can you can add money to it. You can put that money to work uh, in Compound and, and accessing yield. Uh, but you can and you can also swap through Uniswap. What was cool with Monolith is that they will send you a very sexy Monolith Visa card that connects to your smart monolith smart contract wallet on ethereum so it's a really awesome tool to live a bankless life with a a, a savings account that gets software updates so this is, this is something that you're never going to find out in the real world but you can still do real world things with you know real money in, like buy your groceries so that's just fantastic coming soon to monolith actually already here to monolith is now you can buy die and get it sent to your wallet directly right so it's also being an on-ramp so you don't have to go through your centralized exchange like coinbase or gemini or wherever you can just go straight from your bank account right into your monolith checking account smart contract wallet so check them out at monolith.xyz all right david there are a number of other things happened this week i don't know if you want to pick out one or two um, flash loans are starting to make some governance decisions in, mm -hmm. in Maker. That's an interesting development. We will include a link to that, certainly. Um, I guess along the lines of our banks becoming more like crypto banks and this convergence, Consensus is also helping a few central bank digital currencies mm -hmm. start up. One from uh, a bank of, of Thailand. This is a, a pilot project. Another, a French bank. Um, do you have a take on that? Yeah, this, this is just kind of the, the theme lately, like the adjacent topics around cryptocurrency are really coming into the fold. Central bank digital currencies is a very hot subject right now. And people are just kind of more or less assuming that almost all central banks are going to do one of these. And so uh, the, the French central bank and also the uh, in Thailand central bank has also interestingly been working with Consensus, the Ethereum startup studio, uh, to produce central bank digital currencies. And so it, it seems to be that the world of central bank digital currencies are ahead of us and, and consensus is really helping handhold uh, central banks along to get this job done. Yeah, I think the only question is how long it takes. It's now, it mm -hmm. seems inevitable. And the question then becomes how long does this take for central banks to execute? Seems like it is uh, heading in that direction at this point. All right, David, let's move to some hot takes. Uh, tell me what's on your mind. What, what have you been thinking about this past week as, as these releases and these mm -hmm. news events and kind of the market activity have unfolded? Yeah, well, one thing that's been on my mind lately is, at least on crypto Twitter, and maybe that's not the most reflective place, but it's a, a place where I spend a decent amount of my time, uh, is that the, the fight between Bitcoin versus Ethereum or Bitcoin and Ethereum. Now, I'm firmly in the Bitcoin and Ethereum camp. However, I, I will sometimes put on my Ethereum maximalist hat and, and poke fun at Bitcoiners. But like I said earlier, I truly believe that the combination of Bitcoin and Ethereum are mutually beneficial for both protocols. And one of the things that we're seeing happen is $2 billion worth of Bitcoin on Ethereum, like we talked about. So that's kind of what I've been chewing on. And every time I see the Ethereum and Bitcoin blockchain become closer, I get happier. Yeah. Well, how, how many Bitcoiners would you say do you think are on the on that train of thought, David? Do you think that like has um, there's been so much vitriol pointed mm -hmm. at Ethereum over the years from the maximalist community, but also elements of the the more mainstream Bitcoin community? Um, are they happy about this? All the Bitcoin on Ethereum? Are they saying, "Haha, got you"? Ethereum is a side chain of Bitcoin after all, or are they uh, upset that um, you know Ethereum is kind of taking all of this mind share and this asset value? 
Yeah, yeah, it's a really good perspective. And some people don't like it. Some Bitcoiners don't like it at all. Other Bitcoiners, like my, my co-host on POV Crypto, CK, he sees Bitcoin on Ethereum as proof of Bitcoin's narrative. And he also says that, well, Ethereum, along with many other blockchains, also have to compete for Bitcoin, right? And so he puts the ball in Bitcoin's court saying, you know, Ethereum is competing along with everyone else in the world for their Bitcoins. Uh, I'm, on, I'm on the side where Ethereum is the world's best transactional layer. And so Bitcoin is finding its way onto Ethereum for that reason. But these reasons are not mutually exclusive. Uh, and there are a few Bitcoiners, I would say like Nick Carter and Eric Voorhees, who are very much in the this is good for both camp. And some others who just don't really care about Ethereum that will put up the blinders and not really pay attention. Yeah, very good. I'm probably in the this is good for um, both camp mm -hmm. myself. However, I will say to leave this off, every single Bitcoin on Ethereum pays fees to Ethereum. And those fees go to security yeah. of the economic network. Yes, that's right. Absolutely. All right, Ryan, what are you stoked about? What's on your mind? Um, I, you know, I guess a couple things. One thing that just popped up today, David, I was actually trying to uh, move our uh, PayPal account from one business entity to another, just like a, a tax ID number difference mm -hmm. for, for Bankless. I went into PayPal and I contacted a rep because that's of course what you have to do. Everything goes mm -hmm. through large office spaces and you know who knows where and centralized intermediaries. Um, and the response came back, of course, like two, three days later, please fax or mail the information fax? to PayPal. Yes, fax. Or alternatively, I can mail information. What I have to do is mail a physical copy of my driver's license, a physical copy of uh, a, a, like a business license from the IRS stating a tax ID number. I have to either fax those, which like, I don't even know how to, like, how do I use, I don't know how to use a fax. Where's the nearest fax to you? Right, so I'm just <laughs> mailing it. And once I mail it, some department somewhere receives it uh, and then they, they process it. And hopefully some weeks later, I, I hear back. My, my, my thought is just like people complain, people talk about crypto having bad UX. No, no. crypto does not have bad UX. It has this different bad, UX. It has, it has different UX. This is bad UX. Mm -hmm. Like you should not have to fax information to a centralized intermediary filled with office parks full of, full of people doing mm -hmm. like jobs that um, quite honestly could be automated away yeah. uh, in order to get something done like this. And it's just evidence to me. And like, it makes me more and more bullish on Ethereum, more and more bullish DeFi, more and more bullish bankless. Because now that you've unlocked this world, once you go bankless, like you don't go back. Yeah. Like the banking UX sucks. Go try to wire money. Mm -hmm. Like I had to, you have to go to your local bank branch, talk to them in person, actually pay a fee to get funds from one place to another within 48 hours, maybe? Yeah, no, it's, it's absurd. It's crazy, yeah. It's absurd. So one take is there. You know, I, I've got a second take too for you. Hit me. Um, this is maybe a little more spicy too. Like, All right. Masari put out a, a really fascinating graphic. And I want you guys to look at this if you're looking on YouTube, this graphic. And this is basically a graphic of the distribution that various so-called ETH killers have other smart contract platforms that are, that are competing with Ethereum. And if you look at the, the blue section there, mm -hmm. that is tokens only available in pre-sale to insiders, accredited investors. If you look at the pink section in these ETH killer platforms, those are tokens that are allocated to foundations. Now, the interesting thing about these foundations is the foundations are mostly controlled by 
the owners of the tokens themselves. So it's effectively an insider's game too, especially mm -hmm. when you introduce things like on-chain governance, where the coin vote holders get to essentially vote where the funds go, like back or forth. So anyway, looking at the distribution of this, and you look at a, a Solana, for, for, for instance, that is well, like close to 70% mm -hmm. owned by insiders, right? Like no public sale at all, maybe some scraps, breadcrumbs for uh, community allocation, whatever right. that means, however you get that. Uh, Celo, Flow, Avalanche, um, Blockstack, they're all the same. Yeah. I think that the distribution of these tokens, these so-called ETH killers, basically means that they're toothless. Like they right. don't have the ability to kill an Ethereum with a more credibly neutral distribution policy. We've talked about in the past, Bitcoin's immaculate proof of work conception, how that can't be repeated. Well, Ethereum has an immaculate ICO inception. Very hard to repeat that. It was not uh, accredited investor insiders only. You know, distribution to like developers when you add proof of work ends up being like 10% of the network value. Um, and I do think that is an underrated element of uh, Ethereum and one reason why ETH killers will never catch up. What do you think about that? <laughs> I actually have a spicy take to your spicy take. All right. Um, and and you're, you're absolutely right. There's not one thing that, that I disagree about. If you want to have a, you know, a global uh, decentralized infrastructure, you need mass distribution and mass community ownership, which is what Bitcoin and Ethereum have. I think that you are layering the perspective of wanting to be that upon these other alternatives. But I think these guys are actually more going for a traditional business model route where, yeah, this is a blockchain that is going to be loosely decentralized, but not mega decentralized. And it's really just going to prov provide a service using an alternative substrate. And this is kind of just kind of being not, not going to be a centralized company, but it's not really going to be decentralized at either. And so it's kind of splitting the difference between our old legacy business models and these new decentralized platforms like Bitcoin and Ethereum and saying, yeah, we're going to maintain a decent amount of centralization and we're just going to provide one service really, really well. And I think that's kind of where these people are, are going to be forced to be because they actually have no alternative because of exactly how you said. Yeah, I kind of agree with that too. And what it does though, is I think it probably removes them from playing the, uh, their asset is money game. Yeah, the game that money. Bitcoin and Ether are playing right now. That's exactly um, right. Which is yeah. a huge loss. A huge loss huge. from a security perspective. The money game yeah. is where you get core uh, mm -hmm. security. At least that's, that's sort of the, you know, uh, our thesis. It's where you get uh, number go up too. <laughs> yes, very important to have that. All right, let's talk about lastly, David, we're, we're getting close on time, but what are you excited about? Yeah, I'm really excited about this tactic that we put out yesterday on the Bankless newsletter, all about Balancer smart pools. As a too long didn't read, Balancer before now had two versions of pools, public pools and private pools. And public pools had all of the Balancer pool parameters fixed. So there are six different parameters that you can adjust that make up a Balancer pool. And then private pools have all six of these unlocked. But having a private pool is like not really good for people who want to provide liquidity to those pools because whoever built the pool can rug pull basically in six different ways, right? And so yeah. uh, Balancer just released out smart pools, which allows us to find a middle ground between having flexibility of parameters, but also maintaining trustlessness, right? And so we put out and, and the, a, a protocol that used a Balancer smart pool to issue a token is the PERP protocol. And it did something called a, a liquidity bootstrapping 
pool. And what that pool did is that it started, it started two tokens, their perp token, which is kind of like their, their ICO issuance token and die. And it started with die at a low weight and their perp token at a high weight. And then over a three day long period, those weights adjusted, right? And so die would become weighted more and more and more. Perp would be weighted less and less and less. And this creates a Dutch auction. For those that aren't familiar, a Dutch auction is like a normal auction, but in reverse. The token price starts high and then moves and trends towards zero. The assumption is that at some point before the token actually gets to zero, the market buys all of it up, right? And so I think this is actually going to be a huge money Lego for teams that are interested in issuing a token in this way. It's got some massive advantages. You can't run front run it. You can't bot it. It's liquid from day one. Uh, there's no privileged access. It's not like yield farming where people that have a lot of capital are able to yield farm it more than people that don't. Uh, I think it's one of the fairest distribution methods we've ever come up with on Ethereum. So tip of the hat to Balancer for getting this Balancer smart pool up and running much fair distribution even borat approves as you can see in the post and that's a nice shirt you got there david does that have anything to do with the balancer smart pool perhaps a little bit so you guys <laughs> remember the uh, bap zero tokens which have these fantastic shirts if you're watching on youtube the eathscape uh, the eathscape shirts yeah and so we initially sold these tokens on uniswap we put 50 tokens into uniswap paired with 50 eth and then, uh, then people bought them, except people bought 16 of them. And then the price just got way too high, right? I think the price got up to like 12 or $1,600. And then we couldn't sell the remaining of the 34 tokens. Like we ran into a dead end. And so what we're doing is we're migrating those 34 tokens into a balancer smart pool. We started the starting price at the highest price that a shirt was uh, sold for. And over the next month, the price is going to trend towards zero. Uh, fun fact, Ryan, I actually did the math. Uh, the last day of the sale is Thanksgiving. Fun fact. Oh, uh, no kidding. That's the yeah. last day. And uh -huh. at, at that point in time, if there's tokens left, you can get the shirts for like right. something that approaches zero. It depends well, on the demand of this thing, right? Right, yeah. And so we put th these 34 tokens into Balancer and the, the starting price was at roughly $1,200, but then someone bought one and now the price is $1,300. So it still does that Uniswap thing where the more buyers there are, the price goes up. But the difference is over time, the weights of the die versus BAP0 token change. And so the price will go down over, over time. So it's a, little bit of, it's a little bit of a game between you and the other participants. It's how long are you going to wait for the price to come down before you purchase? If you wait too long, they might get all bought. And if you, right. wait, if you don't wait long enough, you might have paid too high of a price. So right. there's a little bit of a game to play. Yeah, just like auctions are a game in real life. This is super fascinating. Love to see how this experiment plays out. It's, it's going to be super fun. Um, that's for sure. Um, David, you know, one thing that I'm excited about, of course, is, you know, bank ledgers, everything they're doing in Ethereum. But we talked a lot about that. Um, I, I want to ask you, like, just maybe in closing, how are you feeling about the election? I know you've talked a lot about, um, and both of us have talked a lot about the election being sort of a major macro event that uh, happens with crypto. What's, what, what's your take on it now? I mean, we're just days out of the U.S. presidential election. Yeah, the U.S. presidential election seems to be a big fork in the road where a bunch of different things could happen, right? Uh, the, the, the Donald Trump has signaled that he might be interested in contesting the election, which would be bad. That's, that's bad for stability. Uh, there's also a cohort of Trump supporters that you know, might cause civil unrest, which would also be bad. Uh, if I could think of the way that is uh, the uh, best for my bags, I would think <laughs> that Joe Biden would peacefully get elected 
minted and then start printing a bunch of money. I think if you are a Bitcoin bag holder, that's kind of where you want to, what, what you want to see happen. But I'm really excited about just getting this thing behind us. I just want it over with. And it's I exhausting. It. Are it's you exhausting. exhausted? I'm exhausted about it. Uh, you know, COVID, COVID is spiking through the roof again. That's, that's also, you know, not a lot of uncertainty there. I want less uncertainty. And so I'm ready to get this election just behind us and in the rear view mirror. Less uncertainty, less noise, more getting back to like what's what's kind of really important, more like moving forward sounds really good. And hopefully post-election, we, uh, we we have a bit more of that. All right, David, we, we are at time, but we talked market, we talked releases, we talked news, some hot takes, and uh, thanks for letting us know and letting me know what you are excited about. Um, guys, this has been our weekly roll-up every Friday. They're coming at you. Enjoy it with your morning coffee. It'll be out first thing in the morning. No matter where you live, you can get caught up on the crypto news. This has been Ryan and David from the Bankless Nation. Thanks a lot. Cheers.